So today we continue in our series, the start of something big. Now, I always like to, to just recap just for a moment uh, before I dive into the message of the day, because if you're a guest here, I don't want you to feel lost. Uh, if you missed a week or two, I don't want you to, to feel like you lost something that uh, you need to connect to today. So today's message is going to be about the work of the church. So I backtrack a little bit to kind of set that up. We begin this series of messages on Easter Sunday morning. And as you see on the screen here, it's the start of something big. You see diagrams for a, a house, and you see encircled there in red the family room. The family room is always one of the most uh, important rooms in the house because that's where the family gets to hang out. That's where you create those memories. That's where, where your family who doesn't live with you comes and, and gets to hang out with you and gather with you and celebrate the holidays when you don't live together anymore. The family room is so important. And we circled that because... The point that we're making in this series is that God himself is really up to something big. And that thing that is big is God is building a family to enjoy forever. God is building a family to enjoy forever. And because God is building a family and because we love the idea of family, we have, we have built this incredibly beautiful cabin on the platform just so as a, as a point of reference, as a touchstone for everything that we talk about, because for almost all of us, we have a vision of our dream home. And because God is building a family and because we have a vision for a dream home, we're kind of playing off of that idea to help make some points about what God is doing and how he's doing it to accomplish his vision. All right, so God's vision is to build a family and enjoy them forever. And in order to accomplish any vision, anytime you have a vision, you gotta be able to, to pay for it, right? Because if you can't pay for it, it's just a good idea. But if, if you can't pay for it, then it doesn't happen. So you, once you realize the vision is worth pursuing, then you, you go out and you say, hey, can I pay for this? Can I, can I acquire the funding that's necessary to make this happen? Well, that's what Easter was about, church. Because God's vision to build a family means there has to be a payment for our sin. The funding, the equity that it takes to put God's family together required a perfect sacrifice, and that sacrifice wound up being Jesus Christ. So on Easter Sunday, Jesus paid for the funding of God's vision of building a family not only for now, but for eternity. All right, so once you have a vision and you know that you can fund it, then you, the next step, if, if we're talking about a house and we're, we're using that as our illustration, the next thing is to go get an architect. Put, put plans around that thing. Put some pictures with it. And as we talked about last week, the architect's job really is not for you because you've already envisioned this in your mind. The architect's job is to help everybody else see what you've already seen in your mind. It's to people wrap their arms around the vision that you have and if they want to join you or help you, they can because they get the idea of what you're trying to accomplish. We made the point last week that the church is sort of like an architect because God has entrusted his vision for the future to us as 
the church. And as the church, we are supposed to start creating pictures and sharing the plans for God's vision of the future with everybody else. Now, sometimes we do a great job of that, and sometimes we actually do a very poor job of that. And as we finished last week, we made the point that sadly, when we're not working to actually help share God's vision in a positive way, when we're not creating the right picture, then we're actually working against Jesus. Now, none of us want to work against Jesus, but there was one point in time where where Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, who? Satan. Peter, he called Peter Satan, not because Peter had become Satan, but at that time, Peter was opposing God's work. And so anytime we're not actually accomplishing and moving in the direction that God wants us to, when we're not as a church putting the right picture in front of the world, we're actually working against God's plan. We're actually working against Jesus because Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. All right, so we don't want to be against Jesus. We want to be with him. So we want to paint the right picture of God's vision for the world to see. So today we're talking about the work of the church, and in a way, the church has sort of a dual role. We have the role of architect. We're supposed to paint the picture and share the plan. But then once you have an architect drop the plans and, and, and put it on paper, sooner or later, you got to break ground, right? You got to break ground because somewhere along the line, it's got to go from an idea that's on paper and you got beautiful, pretty pictures of it, and you got to start turning that thing into reality. All right, so when you have that step, the architect or the owner, whichever one, calls a contractor, okay? The contractor has the job of taking the architect's plan and taking those pictures and starting to turn that into a physical representation of that vision that you have a picture of on paper. All right, so that contractor shows up and that contractor has multiple employees, because a good contractor is gonna have to have a lot of different uh, skills, a lot of different people to help carry out the work. The contractor is gonna need somebody who's got good organizational skills. He's gonna have to have somebody that's got great financial skills. He's gonna have to have somebody that's a good salesman that can make sure that we we get the business that we need. He's gonna need trained craftsmen. He's gonna need general laborers. So the contractor is gonna need people of all different skill sets and abilities to accomplish the work of the contractor to build, in reality, the vision that we up to now only have on paper, okay? The church has that sort of dual function as the architect where we are sharing the plans and painting the picture of God's vision for the world to see, but we also become the contractors who are breaking ground and doing the work of turning God's vision into reality. Does that make sense? Okay. So in the New Testament, as the writers spoke to the church, um, there's an interesting thing that sort of uh, happens, and you may or may not have observed this before. You may have observed it and been a little confused. But when the New Testament writers write in the, in the, in the Bible, uh, they write to specific churches And you have this kind of interesting paradigm where you have a corporate uh, gathering, which we're a corporate gathering right now. We're all together as one church, Orchardville Church. 
That'd be the church at Ephesus, the church at at Colossae, the the church in Rome. We're the church at Orchardville. So you've got this corporate gathering, which is the church. But then all those different employees of the contractor, us, we are actually the church as well, right? So the church is both a corporate thing and it's an individual thing. Because there are times that we carry out the work of the church by ourselves in certain applications, in certain settings, we're representing the church as an individual as we do something. And then there are times that we represent the church as a whole because we're all in it together, right? Okay, you, you follow me so far? Okay. So as you read the New Testament, the writers seldom made a distinction between the corporate application and the personal application because it's not an either or. It's a both and situation. When you read stuff that's written to the church, in almost every case, it applies both to the corporate gathering of the church and the individuals who comprise the church. So it's not either the corporate or the individual, it's both the corporate and the individual. And so as you read the scriptures of the New Testament and you read things that are written to the church, There's an application for all of us together, and there's an application for each one of us as an individual, okay? It makes sense so far? All right, so with that being said, I'm gonna put up on the screen for you uh, a couple of passages of scripture which you may be familiar with, and before we read these, we'll dive into uh, prayer together, and then we'll we'll read them together. Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, God, I pray that you'll bless your word. I pray that you'll bless the message. Uh, Let it be rich in the hearer's ears this morning. And Lord, would you just do work in every one of our lives? We sang for the Holy Spirit to be welcome here, to be present here. And so, Lord, we give you freedom to move among us and in us as you will to accomplish your work in all of our lives and in our work as a church as a whole. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. All right. In Revelation chapter two, God is speaking to the churches. And again, there's a corporate application and an individual application. It's not either or, it's both and. And in, he, he speaks to seven different churches and he says, I know your works. He says that to seven different churches. I know your works. I'm going I'm to share three of them real quickly with you. Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, he is writing and speaking to the church at Ephesus and he says, nevertheless... I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first, what's the next word? Works. Do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. All right, moving on. Revelation chapter 3, verse 2, this is to the church at Sardis. He says, be watchful. And strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your, what's the next word? Works. I have not found your works perfect before God. Last one. This is Revelation 2.19. This is to the church at Thyatira. I know your, what's the next word? Works. Your love, your service, faith, and your patience. And as for your, next word? Works. The last are more than the first. Okay, 
So I want to make two quick observations about that for us this morning. Okay, first of all, you should know that simply showing up for church is not the standard for a successful Christian life. And I know sometimes that uh, it's the easiest thing in the world to do is to just show up to church. Uh, it makes us feel good, like, okay, we heard something, we heard the Bible, we fellowshiped a little bit, and, and you, uh, anonymity in the church, uh, we, we're living in a culture where people crave anonymity in the church. Here's why, because they don't want to be responsible. They don't want to be accountable. That's not the church that God died for. Jesus did not die on the cross so that we could be unresponsible and unaccountable. He died so that we would be known to him first and then to each other. And so he said, your works, your works to the church at Ephesus and the church at Sardis ain't cutting it. And if you're here this morning and you think that simply showing up to church pleases God, that's all that's necessary to please God, you have missed the message of Jesus. It is far more than simply occupying a seat because there is an expectation of works for every one of us that bow our knee and say yes to Jesus. In the exchange for eternal life and the forgiveness of our sins, we, we give our service and our sacrifice to him. Amen? Amen? So he says to all of those churches, I know your works. And the two of them, he said, your works ain't enough. They're not cutting it. Now, let me be clear. We're not saved by our works. We are never, ever, ever saved by our works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's the gift of God. It is not of works lest anybody should boast. You will never work your way to heaven. However, once we say yes to Jesus, there is an expectation that we will work for him out of love and gratitude and to share what we have received with somebody else. And he said, your works are not enough and there is work that is expected. So with that in mind, what exactly is the work of the church? What is it that we're supposed to be breaking ground and doing? What is it that we're supposed to be building as a church corporately and as a church individually in our lives that help God's vision be revealed to the world to see? I've got seven things I'm gonna show you this morning and because I've got seven, I cannot take much time with any of them. I'm really gonna challenge you to be in Sunday sync groups next Sunday I'm going to have passages of scripture on every one of these, lots of questions on all of these. So um, I'm going to kind of give you the highlight reel of several of these this morning, and I'm going to ask you to dig into them during the course of the week and in your Sunday sync groups next Sunday morning. But we're going to start with this one. These are the elements of our work as a contractor revealing God's vision to the world. Number one is worship. Worship fuels God's vision. What do I mean by that? All right. I think this morning we had a wonderful time of worship. Amen? All right. And have you ever come, and, and this, I, I think the answer to this almost has to be unanimous, but I want you to raise your hand. Have you ever come to church, either on a Sunday morning or even a Wednesday night, and it's like, I don't 
want to go, I'm not feeling it. It's just my week has been terrible. I'm just not in the mood. And then when the music starts and you start to sing, something happens and everything about the way you feel and your attitude starts to shift and to change. If that's ever happened to you, raise your hand. All right, you know why that is? Is because when we begin to worship God, God begins an exchange with us. We start to offload our burdens. We start to offload our worries to him. Remember, he said, uh, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God can handle our stuff way better than we can. And when we start, when we start to lift our, our worship to him, it's like all of that junk in our life starts to go up to God where it should be anyway. And God says, okay, I got, I'll take that. Now I'm going to give you a fresh dose of energy, a fresh dose of spiritual fuel to help you keep going. Amen? Amen. I love that. God is so generous in that way to us. And worship is fuel for God's vision. Now, I want to say a little bit about our, our worship here at Orchardville Church. Um, our worship style here is, is, I would call it celebration. And I love that. When, when I got here and I was speaking to the staff, and, uh, and by the way, uh, today is uh, one year ago is uh, the first Sunday that we were here. So today is our, our one-year anniversary. We love being here with you. We truly do. And uh, so but when I got here and I was speaking to the staff, and um, I, I used to spend a lot of time in, uh, in leading worship. That was my first step in the ministry, actually. And, and I was talking to Carlin about style, and uh, St- Carlin has been here, how many years did you say, Carlin? 12, something like that? More than that? 17? Okay. So as long as Carlin can remember, it's, it's been an, an, an upbeat celebratory style. And, and I, man, I identify with that. I love that because I love to celebrate because God is good all the time. Is he not? I mean, in every season of life, in every way, even in the hard things, God is still good. So I love to come to church and I don't, I don't want to mourn my life. I want to celebrate that I've got a God that can transform my life. And so I come to celebrate. And that's what we do. We have had for a long season here at, at Orchardville Church and, and for the seasons to come, we're going to have a celebratory style of worship. Now, I think the celebratory style should never change because I think that pleases the Lord. And, and, and when I say that, let me, let me give you a picture. We don't have grandkids yet, which is one of the saddest things in, 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 in life to my wife. We, we have two children who have almost seven years of marriage between them and no grandchildren. What's wrong with that picture, right? Man, y'all pray for my wife. Uh, Anyway, I, I think this is really, really especially applicable to, uh, to grandparents, but I think it's true even for, for parents as well. When you see your grandchildren or your kids in the middle of the floor dancing and singing and laughing, does that not just melt your heart? Do you not love those moments? And when we come and we worship in a celebratory fashion, I think God the Father has that same reaction. Look at my kids down there. 
Look at my kids down there. They're having a ball. They're loving, they're loving each other. They're loving life and they're loving me. I could not be happier. And so I think celebration should always be our style of worship. But now I'm probably going to make a few of you not quite as happy. And for that, I apologize in advance. I'm sorry. Uh, I think celebration should never change. But the, the type of song and the type of music should change on a regular basis to reach the next and coming generations. On Easter Sunday, if you were here, my wife and I, we sang uh, How Great Thou Art. I grew up on hymns. I love hymns. Love hymns. I know almost every hymn by heart. Uh, I, first, second, and last verse because nobody ever sings the third verse. You don't even have to look at the book unless somebody all of a sudden throws the third verse in there and they're like, oh, man, open up the book, Margaret. I don't know what the third verse is. So, so I love the hymns and I grew up with them. But do you know that you realize, of course, that the church from the first century to now has not always been singing, you know, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Right, that wasn't always in the, in the hymnal of the church. Um, uh, power in the blood was not always in the hymnal of the church. Somewhere along the line, the hymns that I grew up with and I love took the place of something else, right? They took the place of something else. Because somewhere along the line, the, the church and the people in the church realized we, we want a different expression of how to praise and worship God than what we've had. And if you ever wonder about the value of what we do musically and, and through worship and, uh, and praise here, you're not paying attention to what these teenagers do up here every Sunday morning. See, we're reaching that generation. You know why? Because that generation is the one who's gonna have to carry the baton to the generations after them. Uh, once in, uh, in Peoria, as I was pastoring in Peoria, uh, and, and I'm taking longer on this point than most because this is just kind of, kind of a funny story. Um, so our oldest son, uh, who has a theology degree, uh, has a passionate heart for the Lord, uh, has a, had a great evangelistic gift. We had teenagers in our house all the time, all the time. Uh, we could come home sometimes, there'd be 25, 30 pairs of shoes at the front door. It was, you couldn't even open the door. It was, it was really a cool thing. And, uh, so he had some friends, and, and they, would, they, they loved music, and they would make beats together uh, on computer. You could make you know, music sounds on the computer through different programs. None of them could play anything, but they, lo they were love great on the computer. And, and so they actually wrote rap songs. Now, can I just be honest with you, and, and if there's some teenagers and youth in here who love rap, uh, I don't mean to offend you. I hate rap. I just hate it. It ain't my thing. Uh, I can't understand a single stinking word of rap. But I would, my son and two of his friends, they, they wrote these lyrics and then they put music to it and they would do it. And I'm like, what in the world are you guys saying? I don't know what thing that you're saying. But then I would read the lyrics and the lyrics were outstanding. They were so God honoring and it fueled them. I'm not kidding. It fueled them. And so, so ever so often, because I, 
I realize that as, as the pastor of the church there, that if, if we want to continue to, to move the, the word of God and, and the faith that we've been entrusted with, we need to move it forward. We've always got to pass the baton to the next generation. Um, I said, all right, guys, I will let you do a, um, a rap song once every so often in church if, if you give me the lyrics so I can put them on the screen because nobody's going to know what you're saying. And I will get thrown out of the church if you rap and nobody knows what you're saying because like, I don't know what he said, but it had to be bad because it was rap. So, and so we had, we had a, a husband and wife come one Sunday and it was, a, it was their first Sunday there and, uh, and our son and his friends were doing a rap song and he said, I was thinking to myself, man, is this what they do? Because I, can, <laughs> I can't come to this church. <laughs> but he said, we came back anyway. And they, they became members and they, they were great friends there. But here's the thing, that music, although I couldn't stand it, I knew that it fueled the youth that we had. And from a theological perspective, it was as deep and as biblical as anything else that we were singing. And so we have to be willing to hold our not, not this, we don't hold this lightly because this never changes, but we have to hold our other preferences lightly because the, the, our songs are not the Bible. Our songs are an expression of what's in the Bible. And so as, as styles change, then we have to be willing to change with it so that the word of God, the faith that we've inherited can be transferred to another generation, but celebration has been a style here at uh, Orchardville and will continue to be a style at Orchardville for the years to come. All right, so I encourage you, by the way, every Sunday when we get here, don't wait to be moved. Participate in moving before you are moved. Amen? Amen. All right, so that's one thing. Worship, it fuels God's vision. Another part of our job as a contractor is evangelism. Evangelism is sharing God's vision. Sharing God's vision. Now, there is sort of this creeping mentality that a lot of times ha- cr- comes into play in churches. I don't think we have that here, but if you're, not, if you're not careful, it becomes part of any church that is out there. And that is this old saying, us for and no more. Because there comes a point in time in the life of a church that you get comfortable. You get comfortable with who's there. You get comfortable with the people you see. You get comfortable with your routines. You get comfortable with with what you're doing and it feels familiar and it feels good and it's like an old slipper you just put on. You don't have to think about it and you like it. And when a church gets into that mode, a church stops growing because we're not interested in inviting anybody else because it might mess up what we got. The church should never, ever, ever stop growing. Ever. Because God loves people and he commands us to reach out. So the day that we get to the point where we stop inviting people because we like what we got and we don't want anybody else to come mess it up or maybe make us move to a different seat, heaven forbid. (laughs) I'll tell you another story. I wasn't planning on telling this one. <laughs> okay, so when we first moved, got into ministry, um, 
I came in as a worship leader, and um, so the, the pastor had to be out of town at a conference. And, uh, and I had an idea, but I called him to ask him. I'm like, hey, I got this kind of crazy idea, and I don't want to just do it without your permission, so I, I got to ask you first. And he said, yeah, go ahead and do it. Um, we, we had one of those signs out on the street, you know, that you put the letters in. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, on the sign out there, I put under new management. And, uh, <laughs> and that, was, that was the title of the sermon was under new management. And, and the thing is, is like, right, you know, when, when somebody buys an existing business and then they come in and it's under new management, they change things, right? Okay, so that was kind of the point of the sermon. And uh, so that means I'm probably not going to get a chance to do that, pull that here because I'm, t- I'm giving away my secret. All right, but under new management, so when, when everybody walked in, you know, there were, there were these uh, hanging racks, coat racks where people hung their coats up when they got in. We took all the hangers down. All right, so when people came in that morning, they were already mad because there were no hangers. Like, what is going on at this church? And, but, but I had permission because I told him all I was going to do. All right, so then when the service started, everybody sat down in their and they're assigned seats, right? Because you have an assigned seat. Whether you know that or not, you have an assigned seat. And, uh, and, and by the way, I, I was talking to Joel over here this morning. And Joel and them started up in the balcony. And then they were down over here. And then they were back in the back over here. Now he's over here. And I'm like, dude, I love that you're moving around, getting different points of view. That's awesome. Because everybody else has an assigned seat. <laughs> it's so, yeah, somebody's mad at you right now, Joel. So, everybody, everybody was in their assigned seat. And before I said, okay, everybody stand up and you have to change sides. Everybody had to get up and swap sides. That was not happy either. <laughs> it's like preaching at a whole bunch of mad people. <laughs> but the thing is, is that when, when God wants us to share his word, and that means that we, we have the opportunity to bring other people in and other people change our mojo. And we don't like people messing with our mojo in church because we might have to go to a different chair. Get over it. Okay? Evangelism is part of our job as the contractors of building God's vision. The third one is discipleship, because discipleship strengthens God's vision by grounding us, by preparing us, by building us up. So Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. This will not be on your screen. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul writes this, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Rooted, rooted, rooted down in Christ Jesus. Now, have you ever had trees fall over in your yard because they didn't have deep roots? Any of you? Any of you lost a tree like that? All right, yeah. When you've got a tree that gets really rooted, I mean goes way down deep, Ain't nothing going to blow that tree over. That tree can take anything. That's what 
Paul says we're supposed to be in Christ. This is discipleship. This is where we are receiving the word. We are giving ourselves to the teaching of the word of God and we are allowing it to ground us deep, to give, grow deep roots in the things of God so when the winds of the world come and they blow at our door, they will not blow us down or blow us over. And when the world looks at a group of Christians who are dealing with the whirlwind of life and standing strong in the middle of it, that is an incredible testimony to who God is and what he offers and his vision for the future. And if, by the way, if you are not in a Sunday Sync group, change that. Because Sunday Sync is where we are asking you to dive into deep down, grow in the Word of God. To challenge each other as you discuss the Word of God. To pray for each other. That is where the core of discipleship is happening in this church. And you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are called to participate in discipleship. The fourth one is fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship sustains God's vision. And this is really all about the one another's. Fellowship is about all the one another's in the New Testament. This is about membership. This is about belonging to a local body of believers. Now, I could tell you a lot, I could quote a lot of scripture. But sometimes we're visual learners and we learn more by story. So I want to share with you a video. This is it's a pretty incredible video of a true life. And it's about three minutes long. I want you to watch this. And then I'm going to talk about fellowship a little bit more. So watch this video. Right over there. And they're very intently watching the buffalo. It's got him back. They got him back. I don't know if you could hear the guy in the background when they were coming back. Oh, it's too late. It's too late. And then they got him back. See, the Bible tells me that the devil is a roaring lion. Seeking whom he can devour. And hear me on this. When you try to be a Lone Ranger Christian and you separate yourself from the fellowship of a church, you are a prime candidate for devil taking you down. But when you commit yourself to a fellowship, see that fellowship can circle back around. And don't ever, ever say that somebody, it's too late. Don't ever say it's too late. Because together, we can come back and we can pull anybody back into safety. That's the beauty. That's the value. That's the meaning of fellowship. Three other things really quickly. I won't spend much time on these because my time has gotten away from me, but missions, missions is part of our job as the contractor because it spreads God's vision. 
God calls us to go beyond our borders. I'm so proud of our, of our youth who are getting ready to go to Puerto Rico. It's, it's going to stretch their mind and their heart and their spirit in ways they're not even ready to understand yet. But God calls us to go beyond our borders, both physically, which they are going to do, and financially. Because not all of us can go on a trip to Puerto Rico. But we can open up our wallet and we can say, I'm going to support the work that you go to do there. So missions help spread God's vision, not only where we are, but beyond our borders so that the rest of the world can share in God's vision as well. And then prayer. See, prayer deepens God's vision. James chapter 4, verse 8, many of you are familiar with this verse. James writes, draw near to God and he will do what? Draw near to you. I love that verse. See, you draw nigh to God, close to God, and God will in turn draw close to you. Now, here's the thing about relationships. The more time that you spend with somebody in relationship, the more you engage in conversation with them, the more you understand their heart, the more you understand what drives them and motivates them and makes them tick, the more you understand their values, and the more you're ready to help them accomplish whatever is going on in their life because you know them. And when we spend time in prayer and talking to God, it deepens our understanding of God's vision and makes us more willing to do whatever is necessary to help God accomplish his vision in the world. Then lastly is giving. Because giving supports the work of God's vision. It supports the work of God's vision. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11 Paul says, while you were enriched, you're enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Paul is saying that, hey, you, what you're doing is spreading God's work, it's helping to support God's work, and through that... God is doing that so that you can be generous. See, we're blessed to be a blessing. See, Paul says God's been blessing you, and in return, you're blessing the work. That's the way it's supposed to work. Now, I'm going to share a story with you in closing. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up for invitation song. So I was talking to someone in the church. I won't use a name. But... At the end of last year in, in November, we really challenged you to trust God with your money. That God wants to bless you. Now, it's not saying he's going to make you rich. It's not saying that you won't ever have problems, but God wants to bless you. But for God to bless you, you have to be blessable. You have to be in that place where God can bless. Because God wants to use you, me, and all of us together as conduits to share what God is doing. And as he blesses us, he expects us to, in return to share that blessing with others. And so one person was, was telling me that 
you know, they've, they've been trying to trust God, but here right, lately they've just realized that, man, money is really, really tight. And they're just having a hard time making it work. And then he got called in to the office to talk about his paycheck. And through circumstances, this was just the last week or two, through circumstances that I won't uh, discuss, got basically a $160 a week raise in his paycheck. One he was totally not expecting. And as he was talking with his wife, his wife said, you know what? I think this is what Coach Mark was talking about. And you know what? It is. Because when we trust God, he doesn't say that it won't get tight sometimes. He doesn't say it won't get hard sometimes. But when we trust him and we give to him what is rightfully his so that we can help support the work of God's vision, God says, stay tuned, stay tuned. As long as you're in a best blessable place, sooner or later, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. So church, as we do these things, as we worship with joy and enthusiasm, and we celebrate who God is as, as we share the good news of the gospel with the people around us, as, as we give and devote, devote, devote ourselves to discipleship so that we get rooted in, in who God is as we commit ourselves to fellowship and strengthening each other as we, as we support financially or physically the missions across the world, as we spend time in prayer so that we have a deeper understanding of God's vision and want to carry it out even more, and as we trust God with our finances to support the work of his vision through our giving, then we're showing the world this beautiful, powerful, compelling vision of what God is up to. And it all started on Easter with the resurrection. And if God can walk out of a grave, then you and I can accomplish any of these things on this list. Amen? If you're here this morning, you'd like to live this way, but you still don't know if you have given your life and your heart to Jesus yet. Showing up to church is not the solution. And it's a good thing to do, but this, this is not going to get you to heaven. What Jesus did on the cross, that's what gets you to heaven. But you've got to receive it. For the rest of you this morning, maybe you need a deeper commitment to worship. Maybe you need a, a different mindset when it comes to the worship here at Orchardville. Maybe you need to be willing to, to be a little bit more bold in sharing the good news with the friends around you. Maybe you need to be willing to sacrifice an extra hour on Sunday morning to get here for the discipleship hour. Maybe you just need to be more committed to the fellowship. Whatever, whatever is on this list... And can I, I, I think I can say with pretty strong certainty, there's probably none of us here this morning that are 100% killing it on every one of these seven things. Would you all agree with me on that? Not even your pastor is killing it on all seven of those. So whatever it is that you know that you're a little short in this morning, can I just encourage you to come and, and spend some time with the Lord talking about that? Father, as we 
get ready to respond. I pray that your Holy Spirit will move, that you will call us, God, out of our comfort zone, that you will call us out of of our, our apathy, and that God will be moved to become the picture of the vision that you want to share with the world through all of these different ways. God, have your will in every heart, in every life, in Jesus' name.